This podcast contains material that some listeners may find objectionable. It may contain graphic descriptions of atrocities committed during the 1937 Nanking Massacre in China. Welcome back to the wartime diaries of Minnie Votrin and Sen Shui Fan. Last episode, Minnie spent the day frantically trying to prevent Japanese soldiers from executing men who they considered to be Chinese army deserters. This episode, Sen recounts her experiences of the same day. Friday, December 17th, 1937. Now it is midnight. I'm sitting here to write this diary and cannot go to sleep. Because tonight, I have experienced a taste of being a slave of Topot country. During the day, Japanese soldiers came four times. Twice to the South Hill, and once to where the chickens are raised. Unexpectedly, they would come at night. During daylight, they came to check upon directions of the campus and girls. Before we were about to finish supper and leave, servants came to report that many Japanese soldiers were coming. Vojun at once went to number 100 building to meet them at the entrance. She told them, there were no soldiers. One soldier slapped her face. After he left, I asked all young male workers to go to where the refugees stayed, as I was afraid that soldiers would come to number 400 building. They all came to number 100 building. As soon as the soldiers reached the building, some of them stood there, and some dared not enter the building. One stood at the stairway. Mrs. Trinum and I went to find Voltron, asking everyone if they had seen her. They all said no. Seeing soldiers standing there, I felt uneasy to say more, so I went with Trinum to find Voltron. Upon coming out of number 100 building, I saw a soldier running toward number 400 building, and I immediately followed him. He went in through the south door, came out of the north door, and ran to the kitchen. As I was about to reach the entrance of the kitchen, he went to number 600 building and pounded on the center side door. I went over to tell him that the door could not be opened because refugees slept there. I then took him to the north door to enter the building. Trinum was with me. In addition, Mr. Young went inside of the building with him. Another soldier came out of number 600 and went with us to number 700 building. I thought Bolton might be there. I had no idea when we reached the place to turn that we would see Chen accompany three soldiers who pushed open the door of number 700 and came out of it. When we gathered there, those soldiers asked us all to proceed to the front with them. I asked Chen if he had seen Bolton. He said no. 
I presumed that she was at the front, where the soldiers asked all of us to go. I realized it is bad news. Chen said, "We all should walk together." Unexpectedly, when getting there, we saw Voltron alone and several soldiers standing there. Many people knelt on the ground. When Chen reached there, they made him kneel down. Only I, Voltron, and Trinum were standing. Among the ones kneeling, some were workers. Some were Mr. Shah's family members. Mr. Chan made all of us go out there and ask Voltron who I was. Voltron replied that I'm her assistant and also in charge of workers. He asked about Trinum. Voltron said she was an English teacher. Then he asked about the people kneeling on the ground one by one. Upon the newly hired worker's turn, Chen was afraid that Voltron may not know him, so instead he responded for her coolly. Chen immediately slapped and kicked Chen. He then dragged Chen to stand on the other side and then ordered him to kneel on the ground. If Chen had kept his mouth shut, he would not have been slapped. During a lunchtime. Voltron and I had asked them not to hire many young people in order to avoid having Chinese soldiers among them. If there are too many males on the campus, it would arouse the Japanese soldiers' suspicion, and he would ask some young male workers to leave. The fewer new workers, the better. Some of them Voltron does not recognize, nor can she identify them, if she is asked to do so. Chen put the newcomers in number seven hundred building, and did not inform us about them. This individual was the one being dragged out of number seven hundred building. Thus, Chen was afraid that Voltron could not recognize him, so he could not wait to speak out. As a matter of fact, even if he did not say anything, Voltron would say that he was a worker. After the inquiry, several Japanese soldiers talked randomly. Some of them were running back and forth, probably looting our belongings inside. At eight o'clock, Reverend Mills came for the night to give a hand. Mr. Smith and Mr. Fitch drove him here. As soon as they arrived at the front gate, the Japanese shouted to stop them, asking Smith to come in. Fitch at first did not come out from the car. Japanese soldiers ordered him to come out, asked who they were. Wanted to see their passports, and then asked Voltron, Trinum, and me to leave with them. The three gentlemen. Voltron replied, "I cannot leave. I live here." But said that Trinum could leave because she lived outside the campus. Trinum had not come out to the campus until this very day. I asked her to help because Voltron could not handle so many things by herself. Further. I thought she shouldn't leave outside by herself. I asked her to come to the campus for some time, but she declined, not willing to leave under the protection of American flags. So I had to ask her to help us. Therefore, Voltron said to the Japanese soldiers that Trinum could leave. The Japanese soldiers insisted on our leaving, so Fitch asked Voltron to leave with them for the time being. Voltron had no choice but to leave. When reaching the gate, only four or five steps away, she was ordered to return. 
They, the Japanese soldiers, again asked Fitch if he could speak French. Fitch could speak a little. After a while, again, they asked the three foreign gentlemen to leave, but stopped them when they started their car. So the three just sat in the car. After having looted inside and finding girls, the Japanese soldiers asked the man in the car to leave. Five of the soldiers left from the front gate and took Chen Fang Rong with them. They did not say anything to us. Then, after a short while, we heard wailing, help, from the rear of the campus because some of the soldiers left from the back door. We had no idea and instead presumed there were more soldiers inside and did not come out. We thought that once Chen left, he would lose his life. We were standing there and praying for him, begging God to save him. Before the Japanese soldiers left, I was so provoked and wished that I had a knife to stab them to death. Yet in my heart, I asked God to show them the righteous way. After we stood there for quite a while, Mr. Wang, Bochun's Chinese language tutor, came. They, Mr. Wang and his family, lived in the east courtyard. He came to say that his daughter and niece have been dragged away. At that time, Voltron thought there were still soldiers inside and asked Mr. Wang to go back at once. Du Zifu said the soldiers had left from the back door. I suggested we all go to the rear of the campus. Both Voltron and Twinum were not willing to do so, preferring not to move. They feared that the soldiers would come back or the three foreign gentlemen would return. I replied they would not come back because martial law is enforced on the street and there's not much that can be done. After waiting for another while, no one came. I again said that gentlemen, those three gentlemen, had returned home to sleep. It was already 11 o'clock. We had stood at the front for three hours. Besides, it was so cold that night. We all returned to number 400 building and saw not even one soul there. Miss Voltron thought my grandchildren and others all have been taken away by the soldiers. She was so frightened. I said it might not happen and probably they all went to number 100 refugee building. Then we went to number 100 to find them. After all, they were all there. Miss Wong, Miss Sun, and Miss Wu were worried to death. They thought we were taken away by the Japanese soldiers, and none of the workers dared to come to look for us. Upon returning to our sleeping rooms, we saw things were tossed around and messy, but not many items were taken. $80 rent from Xie Wenzhou was taken. During recent several days, I was too jittery to put the rent money away on the third floor. Kids' candies, fountain pens, and some small items were also taken. Several eggs were eaten. Yet, there were other things which I could not remember clearly. Loss of material things is really minor compared to chance being taken away by the Japanese soldiers with an unknown fate, life or death. This kind of slavery life is very difficult to endure. If I were not struggling for the survival of our Chinese race, I would commit suicide. Tonight, it was also very dangerous for Miss Wu. 
She ignored the situation and dressed too well to look like a refugee among the crowd. The Japanese soldiers saw her standing there and ordered her to sleep. She then had to pretend to sleep. Then, after collecting more information, we heard that eleven girls, all told, were dragged away tonight. We did not know where they would be dragged to, and be molested. I wanted to cry. What kind of future would these girls have? Chen Feirong's house was also looted, and so was Number Three Hundred Building, but not many things were taken. Now someone came to tell me that Chen Feirong is back. Really, thank God. He had already returned and came in from the rear door. We did not know about that until reaching the practical school. Those soldiers took him to Canton Road, and he was forced to take off his clothing. At the time, he thought they would stab him to death. So he knelt down on the ground to beg them, saying that he had an old mother and wife at home. In fact, they did not want to stab, but instead they wanted to search his body to see if he had money. They took his wallet, which had only several coins, and then told him to go home. It does not matter what is lost; it is very, very fortunate for him to return. These several days, I have been frustrated to death, having no idea what's going on with the war, no communication with the outside world. Embassies have no Westerners left. Not many Americans are here, and they are helpless. The refugees came here to seek shelter and insist upon coming in. It really made me angry to death. It is better not to let them in than see them being dragged from here. It is better not to see what happens to them outside. Each night, outside, every place is burning. A lot of people at Shaguan died. Why must Chinese people suffer like this? Today, several times, soldiers went to the South Seoul. I do not want to write anymore. When thinking about the Chinese people, I cannot help but feel heartbroken. Another boy was born today. Saturday, December eighteenth, from the diary of Minnie Votrin. All days seem alike now, filled with stories of tragedies such as I have never heard before. From early morning, crowds of women and girls and children come streaming in, with horror written on their faces. We can only let them in, but we have no place for them to stay. They are told they must sleep out on the grass at night. Unfortunately, it is much colder now, and they will have one more bitterness to bear. We are more and more trying to persuade the older women and even married women with young children to go home and leave the place to the young unmarried girls. It seems to me that my days are spent running from one place on the campus to another, saying American School, C.A. Gakuin. In most instances, it is sufficient to induce the soldiers to leave. But in some cases, they are defiant and look at me with a dagger in their eyes, and sometimes a dagger in their hands. Today, when I went to the South Hill residence to stop the looting, one of the men pointed a gun at me, and then at the night watchman who was with me. Because of the terrible experience of last night, 
I took Big Wang, who is now my personal secretary, as it were, with me, and we decided to go to the Japanese embassy to see if we could get any help after reporting our case to them. When we came to the place where Hankow Road crosses Shanghai Road, I stopped, not knowing whether or not it was best to go get Cyril to go with me, to go alone, or go to the American embassy to see what I could get there. Fortunately, I went to the embassy, and there I found a very, very helpful Chinese secretary or clerk, Mr. T.C. Tang. He wrote me two special letters and sent me in the embassy car, so I went in state. I reported our difficult experience and also the Friday night incident, and then asked for a letter which I could carry with me in order to drive out the soldiers, and also for some proclamations for the gate. I received both, and came home grateful beyond words. Also, Mr. Tanaka, a very understanding and distressed person, said he would go and get two gendarmes to keep guard during the night. When I tried to tip the embassy chauffeur at the end of the time, he said, the only thing that had saved the Chinese people from utter destruction was the fact that there were a handful of foreigners in Nanking. What would it be like if there were no checks on this terrible devastation and cruelty? With Mr. Mills and two gendarmes at the gate last night, I went to bed in peace and for the first time for days felt that all would be well. I wish you could hear the roar and noise outside of my door as I sit here in my office and write this. I imagine that there are 600 people in this building alone, and I suspect that there must be 5,000 on campus tonight. They are sleeping on the covered ways tonight for lack of other space. All the halls are full, and the verandas. We no longer try to assign rooms. In our first idealism, we try to do that, but now we just let them crowd in where they can. Mary Twinham and Blanche Wu have moved into the practice school. The same day from Sen's diary. All the girls, except one, who were taken away last night, were released and came back. I have no idea where the missing girl is, or if she feels too ashamed to come back. These couple of days, a large number of refugees came here. Inside and outside, people slept everywhere. Again, soldiers came several times today. If they did not go to South Hill, they just came here or to the chicken coop. Mrs. Trinum did not go home last night. When she saw what happened, she dared not go. Outside, many homes were looted. Soldiers looted places regardless of nationalities. They took whatever automobiles they saw. Even the American embassy's car was taken away. Ms. Fulton wrote to the Japanese consul, asking to see him. Yet, she did not get a chance to meet him. She wanted to tell him that their Japanese soldiers committed inhuman acts. Last night, after they took away 11 girls, they came again, searching for people, girls, two more times at number 100 building. They wanted to find Miss Wu and presumed she slept at number 100. Because she changed place, they could not find her and left. 
the Japanese consul dispatched two military police to the campus tonight, but not during daytime, as they only have a few military police for all of Nanjing. The soldiers ignored the proclamation issued by the consulate when we showed it to them. Instead, they just barged in. Reverend Mills wrote to Shanghai for help, but had no way to deliver it. Nobody from the international committee came to help. Really overwhelmed. These Japanese soldiers were extremely ruthless. They committed all kinds of crimes, killing and raping whomever they like, no matter young or old. One family has mother and daughter. The mother, over 60 years old, was raped by three soldiers consecutively, and daughter, 40-some years old, by two soldiers. Both of them are widows. It is simply inhumane. Now Jingling has over 9,000 refugees. Outside and inside, walkways and hallways, people slept everywhere, as if sardines packed in boxes. I'm worried that soldiers will come again tonight. The military police slept at the front gate. It is useless because soldiers do not enter from the front gate. People can come into this place of ours, Jingling, from anywhere. Too many people are here, and they would not follow orders, no matter how hard we and the workers shout until breaking our vocal cords. The Japanese soldiers wanted everything. The outside was looted to devastation. We had no idea to where they moved valuable loot. Today, three more babies were born. There are many big belly women. These women were really suffering to give birth, and they sleep on the ground. Too many pregnant women need my care. I have no way to take care of them all. There are buildings not yet opened to refugees at the University of Nanking. We cannot accommodate so many, so Vojun has asked Mr. Chu to open the building there, and she plans to send more refugees there. We cannot accommodate so many, so Vojun has asked Mr. Chu to open the building there, and she plans to send some refugees there. Thanks for listening. On our next episode, Minnie seeks out the consul from the Japanese embassy. Sen describes the poor conditions of the refugees in the safety zone. They both witness Japanese atrocities, including the molestation and rape of women.